As we approach Easter, I wanted to share a few thoughts with you to help prepare for that, particularly on the Lord's Supper. We're reading from Matthew 26, 17 to 20. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it. This is my body. And then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It was a Passover festival and Jesus and his disciples were gathered in a room in the home of someone whose name we don't know. And in just a few hours, Jesus was going to be betrayed, arrested, tortured and executed. What was coming was so important that it needed a new rite to remember it. The Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist. Nearly all churches agree it's sacred to the point that we fight over it and some churches guard it jealously. So why is it so important? And why do we celebrate it the way we do? Well, first, I think the context is important. The Gospels are careful to link the Last Supper to the Passover, which celebrated God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And in fact, Jesus uses the unleavened bread and one of the cups of wine that were part of the Jewish Passover ritual to institute this new ceremony. As soon as we read Jesus' words, though, we, we stumble upon the question, what did he mean by this is my body and this is my blood? Very early in the history of the church, opponents of Christianity actually accused us of cannibalism. And the church has grappled with these words for centuries. And as we discuss this passage, we can't go too far without touching on this. The Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches take Jesus' words here literally. When the priest blesses the bread and the wine, they become the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. They still look like bread and wine. If you ran a chemical analysis, you'd find only bread and wine. But in some mysterious way, the bread and the wine are transformed into the actual body and blood of Jesus. And this is a doctrine of transubstantiation. Defenders of this tradition will often appeal to the earliest teachings of the church. And in some texts, it seems that the early church leaders also believed in transubstantiation. But when you read them in context, it quickly becomes clear that they saw communion as symbolic and spiritual. Writing within a century of the apostles, Justin Martyr wrote of the bread which our Christ gave us to eat in remembrance of his being made flesh for the sake of his believers for whom he also suffered and to the cup which he gave us to drink in remembrance of his own blood with giving of thanks. It's not until the fourth century that we see some theologians write about the bread and wine being transformed literally into Christ's body and blood. And admittedly, these are significant church leaders writing about this. But another great leader, Athanasius, wrote, what he says is not fleshly, but supernatural. And in the fifth century, Augustine, possibly the greatest theologian of all time, also said we're to understand the communion spiritually and symbolically. Of course, 
God brings clarity to this elsewhere in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 10, 3 to 4, the Apostle Paul wrote that the Israelites drank from Christ. He says, they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul explicitly gives us a spiritual meaning of a very concrete story. And if all scripture is inspired by God, then we have to say God is comfortable using symbolism. It's also clear in scripture that Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all time. Hebrews 9, 24 to 26 says, Christ did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. If Christ were speaking literally of eating his flesh and drinking his blood in the Gospels, he would have had to make the sacrifice over and over and over again. But as we come to Easter, we're reminded that he has removed our sin once and for all by his sacrificial death on the cross. His work is finished. And as the risen Christ has entered into God's presence, so we may enter with him also. So if communion isn't a literal partaking of Christ's body, why did Jesus use these words and why is communion so important? Matthew says Jesus broke the bread. And in doing this, he was enacting the breaking of his own body that would happen in just a few hours. The cup represented Christ's blood that would be poured out for the forgiveness of many. And these evoke images of the Old Testament sacrifices. Then he gave his body and told them to drink his blood. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul wrote, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? As the bread and wine become part of us physically, so we are part of Christ and his sacrifice spiritually. Not by the bread and the wine, but by faith. When we take the communion, we are fellowshipping with Christ in some profound way by faith. He is present to us and we to him. And Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the covenant. The other time we read uh, this phrase is in Exodus 24, 8, where we read, Moses took the blood, spattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. In ancient times, a solemn covenant was an agreement between two parties that carried obligations for both. God entered into such an agreement with Israel in which he would protect and bless them and be their God and they were to follow his ways and worship him exclusively. Israel quickly broke covenant and although God persevered, in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, God said he'd make a new one. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. 
Through Christ's sacrifice, believers are members of a new covenant relationship uh, with God. And in this covenant, God forgives us, dwells in us and plants his word in the very core of our being. And we love and obey him. In John chapter 3, Jesus described this as being born again. God is committed to us and we to him. When we celebrate communion, we're affirming that covenant. We are, in a sense, recommitting to it each time we take the bread and the wine. Jesus said also, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And as we partake in Christ's sacrifice, we look to his resurrection and beyond to the renewal of all things in God's kingdom. The communion is a declaration and celebration of hope. Sin doesn't have the final word and death is not the end. No, the end is life in Christ. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul wrote, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And so when we celebrate communion, we proclaim the gospel. We don't eat and drink to a dead man, but to one who was the living, glorified Lord. So if communion is so profound and so significant, significant, sorry, then what does this mean for the way we should celebrate it? In 1 Corinthians 11.27, Paul wrote, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I don't think this means we have to be perfect when we approach communion, nor overly solemn, but it does mean we need some to come reverently and in right relationship with others. The early church had the practice of confessing their sin to one another before taking communion. Secondly, we take communion together. The church is the body of Christ in which we participate. We're a covenant community. 1 Corinthians 10, 17 says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Now, I don't think you're sinning if you take it alone. But that's not the context Jesus gave us and the first church partook of it together. I also think the form of communion is important. This is a very concrete ritual and the symbols matter. Communion links us to redemption history in the Passover, the cross and Christ's future return. I've known youth groups that experiment with other ingredients like pizza and Coke because it's more relevant than bread and wine. Now, look, I don't think that's right. The elements mean something. I'm not even sure about Ribena, which we often use, to be honest. Although at least I guess it's the right colour. I think at least grape juice and even better, dealkoholized wine link us to the history and meaning. Now, in some cases, substitutions are necessary and inevitable. In the bush, they often use tea and damper because you can't get fresh bread and certainly not wine and you don't want wine. But if you can... I think we should use what Jesus used. So then the final question is about who can participate. In some churches, this is tightly controlled. Often it followed confession of sin and uh, only a priest can lead the communion service. Even in Baptist churches, traditionally, communion was only open to baptized believers, although we're less concerned about who leads it in our tradition. At our church, we're a little more open than this and allow participants to self-police. 
This is a ceremony for believers. And the question we each need to ask is, is my heart right with God and with his people? Not whether I have sinned, that's going to be the case, but whether I am walking in God's forgiveness and extending forgiveness to others. And if the answer is no, we need to do business with God. When we come to the communion, the invitation is first into relationship with Christ. In communion, we remember that Jesus died for the forgiveness of our sins and he brings us into relationship with God. And in communion, we express that relationship, that communion with him tangibly.